you please turn to the book of Jude? Jude is one chapter of a book. And uh, I'm going to take you through it and just kind of emphasize the main theme and point of the book of Jude so that we may gain wisdom and instruction from it. This book is based on the concept of contending for the faith. So let me read to you Jude verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude, who is the brother of James, who's the brother of Jesus, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, not of the same father. Uh, obviously, Jesus was born of the seed of God, right? But Mary was their mother, and Jude, uh, an apostle along with James, and uh, was the brother of Jesus. We see that in the book of Man Matthew as well. But so what Jude wanted to do was he wanted to communicate to the believers about their salvation, about how great a salvation it is, and, and speak of its wonder and its grace. But he said, you know, when I, when I took to writing and got that pen in my hand and began to want to uh, deliver a message to you, the Holy Spirit just really spoke to my heart. And uh, he said, I need to tell you and instruct you, you need to contend for the faith. Now let's understand what contend means. To contend means to agonize and defend the truth continually and vigorously. And he's going to go on to say that there are intruders. There are people who have come into the church. Now this isn't just the local community church that these folks came into, but also the church at large. And how many of you know that the enemy has always planned to get into the work of the Lord and destroy it from the inside out, right? Didn't he get into the garden that way? And didn't he deceive those who were of the, the church, who was Adam and Eve at the time, right? And so he's subtle, he's crafty. And so many times we would spend our time looking at a big enemy out here when he has subtly entered in over here. And that's the one thing about a Leviathan spirit, that a, a demonic spirit that can uh, scare you from a frontal attack, but that long tail wraps around and bops you on the back of the head too. So you've got to watch out for an enemy who is subtle. And so Jude says, you have got to contend. Another word for contend is fight. You've got to stand up for what you believe in. And if there's ever a day and an hour where the Christian church needs to contend for the faith, it's now. We're losing more people to the world. Well, if we lost them, we never had them. Fine, but let's get them. And uh, so let's minister to them. So this is what Jude is saying. We need to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all means that it was built upon the apostles' doctrine and it was given unto us. We then need to uh, be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God, as Paul says in Romans. Faithful stewards of the mysteries of this salvation. It's not changing. It's, it's not going to, to go anywhere else. We have to be faithful for the trust that was given to us and keep it pure. Amen? 
And so let's contend for it. He goes on in verse 4 and he says, this is the problem. He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, very simply, this is the warning, this is why you have to contend, there are people who have crept in unaware. Now the word crept is another word for creeping. Right? To creep. In the King James there, God created the things on the land and in the air and in the water and creeping things. What are creeping things, right? How many of you like spiders? Anybody like spiders here? Snakes? All right, creeping. In other words, they move in unaware. He said there's some people that have come in and they are what? We are what of them? We are unaware. They didn't announce themselves. They didn't let everybody know. In fact, we don't know who. We're unaware. And they've crept in. So it's subtle and we don't know. Again, back to Satan in the garden. He was the most subtle of creatures. He crept in unawares. All right? So he says this is what they're doing. They're coming in. We're unaware of them. And they pervert. What's the word pervert mean? twist right they're twisting they're 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 shifting and changing what are they changing the grace of our god into sensuality or perversion or licentiousness different words for uh again sexual enticement and liberality to the place where we're letting the grace of god become so all-covering that we would allow ourselves to move into sin thinking that it's okay, I've got grace and I can do whatever I want. Theological term for that is antinomianism, anti-law, the concept that there's nothing that governs me. I'm under grace. I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm saved. I can go ahead and do whatever I want. That is not the attitude of a saved person, is it? A saved person does not want to offend the love and grace of our Father. All right? So they've done that. And then secondly, they deny the only Lord and Master. They won't listen to His authority. All right? So they turn the grace of God into a license to sin, and they no longer regard Jesus as the full authority over their lives. And that crept into the church back in Jude's time. Now, you wouldn't think that's here still today, would you? We don't have people who say they're Christians but go ahead and do whatever they want for the grace of God will forgive them and you can't judge them. We wouldn't have people that add the authority of their lives and what they want to do free from what God wants them to do. We wouldn't see that in the church, would we? Okay, that's called sarcasm and we wouldn't. I want to read something to you by J.H. Thornwell. I, I read it last week and it has just captured me. And uh, it says this, the gospel, like Jesus, is always crucified between two thieves. How many of you remember seeing Jesus hanging on that, that cross? Two thieves on either side. He says throughout the ages, the gospel has always been crucified beside 
or between two thieves. Here's the two thieves. Legalists of all sorts on the one hand and antinomians on the other. The former, the legalists, robbing the Savior of the glory of His work for us and the other robbing Him of the glory of His work within us. Those who are legalists say it's Jesus and whatever you can do for Him. Your good works, your penance, and all that. And that's robbing of the salvation of what Christ alone did for us. You can't add anything to your salvation. We're not saved by Jesus and our good works. We're saved by Christ alone. And so that's one of the thieves who makes you think you add to your salvation. You can't. It's by blood, the blood of Jesus alone. Now the antinomian, the other thief on the other side is that I can do whatever I want because I've got this grace. And that denies Christ the ability to be Lord and Savior to change your life and to clean your life up of besetting sin. Grace is not an acceptance of sin. Grace is the power to overcome sin. But so many think it's just a get-out-of-jail-free card for whenever they want. How many of you remember the, the Reformation that Martin Luther came forward and wrote down his 96 Theses on the Wittenberg door in Germany? One of the reasons was because he was protesting against uh, the papacy and uh, in Rome because Johann Tetzel, one of the monks, was going town to town to raise money to build St. Peter's Cathedral. And one of the ways he was fundraising is he was selling indulgences. And an indulgence was basically if you committed adultery, you could pay $100 and get an indulgence that forgives you of adultery. If you lied, if you cheat, if you steal, we got bargains on that too. All right? And so the selling of indulgences, and Martin Luther said, this is ridiculous. This denies the work of Christ in our lives. Believers are not supposed to continue sinning. We're supposed to, by the grace of God, overcome this sin in our lives by allowing Christ to cleanse this temple. So the gospel's always been crucified between two thieves, hasn't it? We've got to contend for the gospel. That it is by Christ alone we're saved. It is by Christ alone we're maintained. And we need to let Him do that work within us. Amen? All right. So he goes on and he says this about those. He's got a lot of descriptive words about them. But he comes and he says this warning to them in verse 11. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Do you see what he does so cleverly here? He, he sets a path for their destruction. He says this, they walked in the way of Cain and they sought the gain of Balaam's error, perishing, finally ending up dead in Korah's rebellion. Look, at the minute you start walking the way of Cain, you have walked away from God. Right? There are two kinds of worshipers in Genesis, Abel and Cain. Abel brought the right sacrifice with the right heart. Cain still brought a sacrifice. He's a religious dude. Got an appreciation for God. Still brought a sacrifice. It was not the required sacrifice. And God said, go back and do it again. He said, sin is at your heart's door. And he refused. 
there is a way in which Cain set an order of rebellion in the heart of men. And that's the way. And then along that way, you can follow after the error of Balaam and end up in a result as Korah did in rebellion. Let's look at all three of them and see how these insidious folks who have crept into the church of Jesus Christ, what three things they do. It says that they cause divisions. They're worldly people and they're devoid of the Spirit. So what they're doing among the church, even in our church, even in the church today in America and in the church around the world, these folks who have come in because they want to come in because they have a religious spirit, they are devoid of the Spirit of God. They're worldly or carnal people. And what do they do? They begin to cause divisions. And so let's take a look at what kind of people they were. Number one, Cain. Uh, he was famous for that song, I Did It My Way. How many of you remember Frank singing that, right? I think Elvis sang it too. I did it my way. In the end, that's what a great thing you get to say. You did it your way. Then you can go to heaven your way. And you can for live for eternity your way, which is not God's way. There's only one way. Who said he was the way? Jesus. God told Cain and Abel how to bring a sacrifice. We can deduce, deduct from that situation, that story, that as Abel brought a lamb and a sacrifice unto the Lord that was pleasing to him, Cain did not. And the Lord was displeased with him. I think this is how the story goes. This is only my opinion. It's not written in Scripture. But I believe that God demanded a sacrifice for the covering of sin. Adam and Eve had the Lord, they built their own covering, didn't they? God said, no, you need to have an innocent life for the sake of your sin. And so he killed, what, remember, a lamb to cover them in clothing, right? So this is the pattern set now for covering and bringing offering to God. Abel brings the firstling of his flock, offers it to God, God appreciates it. Cain brings his, his uh, fruit and vegetables and different things that he brings. God says he's not pleased, it's not right, and that there's sin. Well, what Cain was doing was worshiping God his way. I did it my way. Do you know that there are folks in the church who don't want to listen to what the Bible says? I think God's like this. Have you ever talked to folks like that? You know, what do you think God is? Well, I think God's like this, and my God's like this, and I think God's like that. Yeah, but the Bible doesn't say that. Yeah, but I think God's like this. Well, you've made God in your image. That's the activity of Cain. And there are people in the church, and what I mean is by the church of the Lord Jesus, uh, how can I put it, uh, people who gather with other Christians. <laughs> they're not really of the church because they're not born of God's Spirit. But they hang with the church. They want to be a part of this group. And, and they say... Uh, well, that's the way you see it. I see it this way. I don't think there is a hell. I, I, I don't think that everybody's going to go to hell. I think everybody's going to. And they start changing things. Now, they're still offering their worship to God, but they're not walking according to Scripture. 
And that's the way of Cain. I think once God reproved Cain and told Cain to get it right and said there's sin crouching at your heart's door, you got an attitude issue, you got an anger problem, and it's firing up. I think what happened is when, when Cain and Abel were out in the field, I think Cain got so furious over Abel that he came and he said, here's your, here's your sacrifice, here's your blood for you, here's my sacrifice, wham! There's your blood offering. He was violent and killed his brother, the first human death on planet earth. And so the way of Cain is a way of doing things the way we want. We are all guilty of this in some way or another. Our flesh wants to do what we want when God says to do something else. Come on, you all know that we've got to deal with that issue. But there are those who live, eat, and breathe that way. And they're always contentious. You ever found any, somebody who's just never happy with anything? Because it just doesn't go their way. Even when the, they hear a thus saith the Lord, they doubt it and question it. It's, this is what God instructs us to do. They want to do it their way. That's that spirit of Cain and it's divisive. They always want someone else to follow. And they speak into divisiveness. Then you have Balaam. If you remember Balaam, it's when Israel was coming into the promised land and uh, uh, the, the, the enemy didn't want Israel to come through their land, so they hired Balaam, who was a prophet. He heard from God. So they paid him cash to come curse Israel. He said, I can't do it, so they offered him more. Every time he went to curse Israel, God wouldn't give him a word and said, you do not curse these people, they're mine. So he kept going back to Balak and said, I can't curse these people. Finally, in the end, it's a great story. You need to read about Balaam. But in the end, he was bought. He was bought off. And he went ahead and he couldn't pronounce a curse on them. But what he did was he told Balak how to make Israel fall. He told them, this is what you do. Tempt them with your women. Have them intermarry with your people. And then their faithfulness to their God will begin to wane. Sexual power is a very strong power. And it can persuade people to do many things. How many of you know that? Money and sex is a very powerful uh, combination. Kind of rules the world, doesn't it? Apart from Jesus Christ, it's a strong, potent power. And that's what Balaam did. And so he perverted. Peter says this, forsaking the right way, they had gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. You know, there are people in the church and among the people of God that like gain over godliness. They want position. They want power. They want authority. You know, there are people who, who are amazing singers, amazing preachers, uh, amazing uh, administrators and do great work and they get elevated in the church and they pursue gain instead of godliness any of you ever see anything like that or hear about anything like that anybody i don't know if you've seen or heard about it right how many of you ever seen that movie elmer gantry right right uh they have a lot of different versions of that here here you got this preacher going city to city and he's womanizing and he's He's cheating people, but he's got a name for himself. How many of you have seen preachers in the paper and in the news? They've got authority and power, and they pursue gain instead of godliness. 
happens all the time. It's in the church. Jude says you've got to watch out for that. So you've got people doing it their way, and you've also got people seeking gain. Last of all, you've got Korah. It's the story of when Korah, this is Moses' cousin, he, he didn't get picked to be the high priest. Aaron didn't. He didn't like it. So he gathered people together. All of these people gather others to themselves. And so he gathered people together, and they came up against Moses and said, we don't think that you should be in charge. Who put you in charge anyway? Well, God. In fact, that's what ultimately happened. Moses said, you know what? I'm not even going to argue with you. Just meet me at the tabernacle in the morning. And then he ducked. (laughs) And the fire came out, and the earth opened up, and they were swallowed. But Korah was blatant. He was just blatantly rebellious. I don't need to listen to you. I don't need to do what you say. You're not the boss of me. My authority is God. Well, if your authority was God, you would understand submission to authority. Okay, I got one amen. Amen. So, this is the problem. This is the three types of contentions that are in the church that we need to contend for. Let me ask you this about your own personal walk or your own household for the Lord. Is there, are, or are there any attitudes of Cain? In other words, I'm going to do it my way instead of the Lord's way. Maybe for your own self personally, there's this attitude and spirit in you that God said, uh, this is what my word says, but you'll say, yeah, I'll do something like that, but I need to do it my way and in my timing. Has anybody ever been there? You know what I'm saying? I know I have, and I want to crush that spirit. I, I want to do it right. And, and how many of you have ever had that, that spirit of Balaam where it's like, you know what, I can benefit from this. I know what the right thing to do is, but I'm going to do it so that I get something out of it. How many of you know that a lot of people volunteer for things at the church when they say, what's in it for me? When you hear that phrase, run. Don't pick them. What's in it for me? And then last of all, just pure rebellion. You hang out with people that are just always dogging the leadership, always opposing the leadership, always saying, I don't like the way they're doing that. I think they should do this. I don't want it to be like this. I want it to be like that. Who does he think he is with this and that? Just rebellion. These are the things that he said we've got to watch out for. They've, come, they've crept into the church unnoticed. And so Romans sixteen seventeen says uh, that we're to mark those or watch out for those who cause divisions and great obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. He says, avoid them. So Jude says that, Paul says that, that there are people who are trying to cause divisions in the body. All right? So let's mark them. But I also want you to be aware of those same three spirits in your own walk or in your own house We're to be teaching our children these things. Children, obey your parents. Don't rebel against them. And and children, do it the way we ask you to do it. Don't do it just the way you want to do it. Right? We've got such... That attitude, those three attitudes permeate our society, don't they? They do. I can't see you nodding your head because it's dark. But I'm believing you're with me. So he says, this is how you have to contend for it. He says this in verse 20 and 22. Yeah, to 22. This is how we're going to contend for the faith. So first of all, he says this. 
you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. All right? So, we can't be weaklings. Spiritual weaklings. And that's been the problem. If the, and now, now, my wife and I had a discussion about this at dinner time. And we were, the question was asked, are these people deliberately coming into the church to deceive the church? And I, I personally think that they're not, well, the enemy does send people in to destroy churches. We know that. Um, that's a fact. But most people come in for their own pursuits, religious pursuits and attitudes. I don't think they're thinking, I'm going to go in there and wreck this church. Like I said, there's few. Uh, but the majority of people, they have this spirit, they have this attitude, and they come in, and wherever they go, they breed it. All right? Now, how do you stop that from breeding? If, if, uh, look at your own body. If you are weak physically, if you've not maintained your health, a disease can so quickly afflict you. Am I right? And so if the church is not spiritually fit and built up, these enemies, these three diseases can come and infiltrate and divide the strength of the church up. And that's what you have in the church in America. Come on. We've got so many splinter groups that it's ridiculous. And it's because we've not built ourselves up in our faith. So I know you folks, though. You folks routinely work out in the Word of God. You get your sweatsuit on and you read the Word of God, right? And you practice praying in the Spirit. You, you study the Word of God. You pray every day. You, you want to listen to sermons. You want to grow and get educated in the Word of God, right? How many of you do that? How many of you regularly read the Word of God? Anybody here regularly read the Word of God, right? How many of you regularly pray to the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of you regularly ask the Lord to examine your heart? Lord, show me sin in my life. Show me the... See, all right, you're a healthy group of people healthy group of people therefore we're not going to have divisiveness or or division among us because we're hungry after God so you have to build up your faith and pray in the Holy Spirit now that's interesting because there's people who pray right there are people who pray they'll go in the morning they'll kneel down they'll light candles they'll pray to all you know and they're very religious people and they pray but there's a difference between praying as an activity and praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, as Pentecostals, we take that verse and we say, hey, that means speaking in tongues, praying in the Holy Spirit to build up or edify yourself. I would agree with that. But that's not solely the meaning of this verse because Paul also, uh, Paul also says in Ephesians that we're to pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers. So praying in the Spirit basically is Spirit-motivated prayer. It can be in tongues or it can be with understanding. It could be a simple, short little prayer. It could be a really long prayer. The thing is, it's motivated by the Spirit of God. Not your self-interests, not your abilities, not your religious background, but purely in a pursuit for the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth he will show you mysteries and speak to you of the will of God. Amen? There's no substitute for that. Cain uh, didn't want uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
He rebelled against it. Korah didn't want to follow the the word, thus saith the Lord, that Aaron's going to be the high priest. He rebelled against that Holy Spirit. Balaam was in contention with the Holy Spirit continually, who told him, don't do this. But he listened to the money. Right? So the way we make sure that we stay united together and strong is that we build up our faith praying in the Spirit. And then he goes on and he says, staying united in the love of God. I want to examine that real quick here. Staying in the love of God. Keeping yourselves. Keep yourself in the love of God. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's the place you need to be. There's no place like that, right? Keeping in the love of God. Here's what the love of God did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was a demonstration of the love of God. So the love of God, staying in the love of God, always understands the power of grace. That I was a sinner, and yet by the grace of God I've been saved. And without the Spirit of God, I would wander. I need to stay right in the love of God. The love of God is that He's faithful to me, who has given me this grace. The love of God recognizes that my God is a righteous God and I love Him. My God is a holy God, therefore I must live unto that holiness He's given me and honor Him at all times. That's staying in the love of God. Knowing how much He loves you and how much you want to love and honor Him. That will keep you balanced. Does that make sense? Cain didn't stay in the love of God, did he? He loved his sacrifice more than what God required. Balaam loved cash or gain more than gaining him right and obviously Korah didn't love God's ways he wanted power and rebelled against those things so we've got to watch these three spirits gain power and uh, well rebellion now that's how we have to contend for the faith now he goes on to say This is what we need to do to repair the damage. There was damage done. If these spirits came in, if these attitudes of these apostates crept in unawares and have caused division, they're wreaking havoc and doing damage to the body of Christ. So there are people who have scattered from the body of Christ because they've been damaged by those who crept into the church and created divisions. How many people do you know personally that do not go back to church, do not attend church, and in fact are confused about the ways of the Lord and are wandering because of someone hurting them in the church? Okay? And... They may not be blaming God, but they're hurt by what people did. And this is what Jude is talking about. If the church is strong, we're, we're, we're going to work at building ourselves up, praying in the Holy Spirit, staying in the love of God, so that we're not wounding believers who come here. Personally, as a pastor, one of the worst things that wounds my heart is to know that someone leaves this church because they got hurt here. That grieves me deeply. It grieves me deeply. Now, I try to repair it when it's someone from in the body that has hurt them. But when I'm the one 
that somehow hurt them and offended them. It, it's, it's a deep grieving, and I, I want to try and mend it if I can. There are times you cannot. And so we pray for folks like that and, and uh, want to minister, but I don't want to see that happen. How about you? Anybody here? We, there's so many out there. And here's really what Jude is saying. This is why so many are out there. They got connected to a Cain who was doing it his way. Or they got connected to a Korah who was always rebelling. Or they got connected to a Balaam who, who taught them how to go after gain instead of godliness. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's caused divisions in the churches. So how do we mend that? How do we fix that? He goes on to say this is what we need to do. He said, uh, verse 22, And on some have compassion, have mercy on those who doubt. On others save with fear, pulling them or snatching them from the fire. And then he goes on to a third. Show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. He, basically when you review this and study it, there's three kinds of people, he says, that you need to mend and you need to help because of those who came in unaware, caused this damage and division, and busted people up. He said, you be strong in your faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, staying in the love of God. Now what you need to do is have mercy. Have mercy for those who doubt. Alright? So, so go after those who are doubting their faith, doubting their salvation, doubt. Right? Have mercy on them. Sometimes people treat the, the prodigals and treat the folks who have wandered away as, fine, you don't believe like me, because they're insecure in their own faith, really. They get mad at them. Go ahead. But he's saying, have mercy. Go after these people. Have mercy on those who are doubting. I encourage people, when people come to me and they say, I have a lot of questions, I have a lot of doubts, I don't think this. I tell them, then ask them. Uh, You know what? You have a lot of questions. Ask God all these questions because truth never worries about the questions. God can take any question. Can I tell you something? Christianity's been around 2,000 years. You think this is the first century someone tried to disprove it? How did Christianity last 2,000 years? Well, no one was smart enough to disprove it, but today we've got science. Yes, and I think our world is vastly improved from all of the scientific discoveries we have. Poverty is at its highest level. Hunger is at its highest level. Crime is at its highest level. The sex trafficking is at its highest level. Slavery is at its highest level. Science is our answer, isn't it? So, I mean, come on. All the questions that any person has today has been asked 2,000 years in a row. And the Bible still stands. Amen? So if they have doubts, have mercy on them. Work with them. Reach out for them. Help them. Somebody be a bridge. Because somehow they got caught up with a cane. Some of them got caught up with a Balaam. And some of them got caught up with a Korah. And they split because of those who came in and messed things up. All right, the others, he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now that's a reference to Zechariah 3. You can read that, where Zechariah is is taken as a firebrand out of the fire and given new garments that are clean. But the concept is this, is that 
go snatch people who are this close to hell. I don't want to get that close. They're dirty people. They're nasty. They're not living as righteous as I am. Need the heart of Jesus, don't we? Who was Jesus accused of being friends with? Sinners, drunkards, right? Prostitutes. He, he, he understood. We've got to save souls here, people. And doesn't it make sense that if we believe the gospel can save souls, we would go after the souls that are the closest to, closest to damnation? Doesn't that make sense to you? The ones who are closest to dying and the ones who are closest to going to hell, they're the ones we should help quick. Now, go after them. We need to go after them. But we want them to come to us where it's polite and nice. Jude says, oh, you got people coming to you, but they're all trying to cause divisions and and make a mess. Let's go after the people who would thank God for being saved, amen? And then the third group, he says, is very interesting. He says this, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. In other words, you better watch out at some of the folks you want to save or you're trying to save. Have some fear, some wisdom in this. Be careful. Paul put it this way in Galatians. Brother, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Right? I mean, I know we're supposed to snatch those in the fire. But going to the bar every night to witness... I think you better be careful with that. Right? Going to the street corners to talk to all the prostitutes. Now, Jody McLean does that on the streets in Tijuana. But men, I don't think that's your place to witness while they're working. We were forbidden. When I was walking with Jody, she said, you stand over there and pray. Right? Because that's, right? You've got to watch there are some people, and he says those, those clothes stained. It's a reference to leprosy. Leprosy is a numbness, right? And, and it's very easily transmitted, and so their garments are filthy. And he said, you be careful if you're going to reach and save the lost. Be careful for your own self that you too don't get tempted and swept away. That you don't become defiled into what they're getting involved in. How many of you have known people that have done that? They had ministry, outreach ministries, and they got a little bit too close and swept into it, right? So he wants us to be cautious as well. I conclude with this. In the end, I love this verse, one of my favorites. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Wow. Let's back up on that. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Have you ever have you considered this statement? You see, this, this is why Jude finishes off to him who's able to keep you from falling. How did he start the thing? Those who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Grace of God lets me do whatever I want to do. 
grace of God will just cover all my sin any way it wants to cover. And at the end, he's saying, you know what? This grace is the thing that's supposed to keep you from falling. Many, many of us use grace simply as forgiveness instead of grace as the power to abstain from sin. Grace that keeps me from temptation itself. How many of you, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, remember it says, lead us not into temptation. You see, the move of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God isn't reserved for after the sin. <laughs> it's empowering us before we even get tempted. That's where we're supposed to be activating the grace of God. And so, if, if I would dare say tonight, Jesus can keep you from sinning. Wow, what a concept. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? See, most, most of us in Christianity, it's just, you know, we're just sinners. We're always going to be sinners. So all we can do is sin. So, thank God He covered us all. Oh, what a mess. Yeah. I'm just the bumper sticker. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's it, eh? How victorious is this? Just keep covering me. Just cover me. That's all. That's just keep, I messed up. Just cover again. Whitewashed all the time. Is that all we are? It, when Christ Himself is changing us inwardly, and he can keep us from sinning. I want to pray tonight for you that if there is a besetting sin, I love the way Paul deals with besetting sin. Do you know what Paul's deep theological statement is for a sin that's besetting? Can I tell you what a besetting sin is? The word besetting, that means you keep tripping into this thing all the time. It's, if it's a besetting sin, it's a heavy-duty one, right? It's the one that trips you all the time. You know what Paul says, what he says concerning besetting sins? He says this, Stop it. I need a little more here, okay? No, no, you know what? You have the power of God dwelling in you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling. Stop it. You know, I never thought of that. I've always thought, just always, we get into this routine. God, help me. I want to live for you. I want to be better for you. I choose to sin. I sinned. Oh, God, help me. I want to be better for you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I got your grace. I'm forgiven. I choose to sin. Oh, God, help me. Please forgive me. How many of you know this repetition? And this is called Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's the junk that crept in. He says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, and what? Present you blameless to God. Come on, that's a strong church. That's a powerful people. That's who we are made to be. And I conclude with this. To the only God, now here we go, Jude is a Jewish man who understands that there's only one God, he's a monotheist, but so in him declaring who Jesus is as God is declaring the triunity of God, the trinity of God. He says, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. Christ be glorified in all things. Amen. Let's bow.